My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, I find no rest. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises, and in you our ancestors put their trust. They trusted you and delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth, I was cast on you. From my mother's womb, you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near and there is no one to help. Many bulls surround me. Strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. Roaring lions that tear their prey open with their mouths wide against me. I'm poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd. Potshed? And my potshed? And my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. But you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him but has listened to his cry for help. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him. Those who cannot keep themselves alive, uh, posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. And they will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, our speaker this morning is Faith Martin. Faith is part of the team here. You saw her hosting earlier. Faith has joined the staff team and oversees all our worship and our production and all our comms and social media. Um, it's a wonderful privilege over the last few years getting to know Faith and her husband, Matt, as, as they're part of the team, but also part of the family at Is Bay Church. And, and they've got three boys, which are probably somewhere over there, we hope. Don't we, Faith? And um, and absolute joy and privilege um, doing life alongside. I'm so glad they moved from Coventry to the Bay to be part of Bay Church. Please welcome Faith Martin. Woo. 
Well, that was nice. It's always nice to hear your boss say, I'm really glad they came. Um, right, well, that reading was so long that we've pretty much got like three minutes for me to do my talk today, so sorry about that. Um, no, but I know what you're thinking. That reading is a bit of a downer in a lot of places, so I'm going to really do my best to work our way through that passage, but also so that you can leave feeling encouraged. That's the goal today. So, as Matt said, we've got three boys. Our youngest boy is nine and is pretty obsessed with Lego. For, I think it was Christmas, he got this, it's like a Lego gaming truck. I mean, which I think says a lot about the generation that are now, you know, having the time of their lives. But uh, a gaming truck, it is actually really cool. It's got like loads of moving parts. It's got people that can sit and game in it. Apparently that's what we do. We sit in a truck and game. I don't know. But it, it was also a truck. So, you know, at the very least you can kind of, you know, move it around. And a few weeks ago we were tidying up and Matt picked it up by the, the big truck bit, what's that called? I don't know, by the big truck bit, and the truck crashed to the floor and left Matt just holding the roof. A bit awkward, and Ashley was just like, oh my gosh. And uh, Matt was like, don't worry, don't worry, we can fix it, we can fix it. And Asher, bless him, was like, no, no, it's too late, it's too late, it's ruined. And I'm, I'm not sure what that says about Asher's outlook on life, but he was convinced that it was too late for the truck and all who sailed in her. No, um, it, to clear Matt's good name, he has, in fact, rebuilt the truck with Asher's help, and Matt now insists it's stronger than, than before. That's men for you. Sorry. <laughs> no, if you've ever felt, though, that you are beyond rescue, you're in great company. If you've ever felt like you're too broken for God to save you, you're in good company. If you've ever felt like you've been left or forsaken, you're in good company. And the truth is, even when we feel like we're beyond that point of rescue, God never leaves us and he never forsakes us. So we are going to dig in a little bit more to some of the truths that work around that statement. So firstly, how we see ourselves doesn't change or affect how God sees us. And this morning we're going to look at David. Now, it's more than likely that David wrote Psalm 22. I know there's theological discussion around who wrote the Psalms, but we're going to say for today, it's more than likely that David wrote Psalm 22. Otherwise, the whole talk falls apart and then we're in real trouble. Um, so, you know, but here's a few fun facts about David. So, David was from Bethlehem. He, as a boy, was chosen as God's anointed ruler of Israel. He was a shepherd, a musician, and of course, a giant killer. He was a great warrior, and he did become king of Israel. He committed adultery with a woman called Bathsheba, and then he had her husband killed, just for good measure. Um, but he was also described as a man after God's own heart. So it's a really mixed bag with David. Um, I was wondering what the fun facts would be about me, and I think it would be maybe not quite as drastic as killing and adultery, I promise. Um, but, you know, it would be a mixed bag. Um, but God's opinion of David never changed, never. God anointed David, David as a boy to one day rule over Israel, Israel. And it says in Samuel 6, verse 12, it says, So he sent for him, so Samuel sent for David and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Why is that necessary? I don't know why we need to know that, but there we go. Um, then the Lord said, Rise and anoint him. This is the one. 
So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. It's not completely clear when Psalm 22 was written, but I think it's safe to say that David wasn't thinking much of himself at that time. He wasn't feeling great. Um, And in verse 6, David even says, I'm a worm. I'm not a man. But God anointed him as a boy, knowing full well that he would go on to kill Goliath, that he would be a really great king, but also God knew that he would cheat on his wife. And God knew that he would try and that he would kill a man just to try and cover up his own infidelity. God knew it all and yet still called David a man after his own heart. When I was a kid, I really loved singing. That was, was like my favorite thing. Um, and I was quite shy about it, so I used to kind of just keep my performances to my bedroom. Um, but my dream was to become a pop star. It didn't come true. It's okay. It's okay. Um, there wasn't a lot of empathy there, was there? Okay. Thanks. Thank you. Um, but I used to love singing songs in my bedroom, pretending I was on the stage or in a music video. I mean, it was really cool. Um, I'd landed a few solos at school concerts, and so I think perhaps my confidence was, was higher. That's the only explanation for this story. Um, but I can remember singing along to Whitney Houston, I Will Always Love You. I think I was about 10. And it's a big song. Like, it's a real singer's song. It's not a 10-year-old song. It's, it's a big song. But I was convinced, and I mean convinced, that I could sing this song as well as if not better, because actually, you know, I was only 10, so, you know, credit for that, than Whitney herself. I could see the headlines. I could see them. They were going to say, 10-year-old singer better than Whitney. Oh, it's going to be a great time. But I honestly, so convinced. I used to just think, someone's going to hear me outside my window. They're going to discover me. It's going to be amazing. Um, I'd belt that song out in my room complete with the chin wobble. Have you seen the video where she does that? Yeah. I'm not going to demonstrate it because you'll be shocked to hear that, in fact, I don't think I was as good as Whitney. I mean, I could be wrong. There's no proof. There's no video. So maybe I was. But um, unless my ability to sing that song has completely just got worse and worse over the last sort of 30 years, then I think it's safe to say my view of myself didn't actually match reality. So I'm now happy to concede that Whitney may have had the edge, um, at least on that song. I mean, (laughs) Um, what I believed about myself in this situation, the way I saw myself in this situation, didn't make the slightest bit of difference to the truth of the matter that I wasn't actually a 10-year-old singing sensation. (laughs) Sad, but it's okay. Um, The way that we feel about ourselves is going to change all the time if we base how we feel about ourselves on our performance or our behavior. But our behavioral performance doesn't earn us God's love. We are loved. It's as simple as that. So how we feel about ourselves has no impact on the way God feels about us. We can feel like a worm, like David, and yet God still calls us his masterpiece, his children, a royal priesthood, precious and honored. And equally, we can feel like the best thing the world has ever seen, and God still knows that we need saving. So the way that we feel about ourselves doesn't affect how God feels about us. And following on from that, God never changes his mind about us. When Matt and I got married nearly 20 years ago, it was a period of a lot of change for me. I left Portsmouth. I left all my friends and my family, my church, the night that we got married, and we moved to Coventry. 
Anyone been to Coventry? Yeah. <laughs> okay, so you know. <laughs> it's a lovely place. I just didn't want to be there. But I loved you. Yeah. Anyway, I had lived there before and studied there, but I actually moved away because I really disliked it so much. And then when that proposed and we got married, I had to go back. But lots of things had changed. None of my friends were really there anymore. So I was moving back to a life that I didn't, I didn't know. It wasn't, wasn't comfortable. Some people say that the first year of marriage is the toughest, and it's definitely one of our hardest. All of that stuff just added to that. I felt so lonely in those first few months. I was missing being able to see my family very often. I hated the church we were attending, and I really just hadn't found my people. One weekend, we were going to a wedding, and then we were going back to my parents for the bank holiday, and we had such a great day. And I specifically remember thinking, it's going to be all right. I've got a great husband. He loves me loads. Um, I'm going to find my people, and the job that I'm in, which sucks, isn't forever. It's a stopgap. It's fine. But then that evening, something happened. I'm pretty sure, if my memory serves me correctly, Matt said that I was crunching crisps too loud. Right? This is big stuff. But I was, I just lost it. Like, I was so angry. I was so embarrassed. I just, we had this massive argument at my parents' house, and my mum really helpfully sort of said things like, do we need to be worried here? You've been married nine months. Have you made a mistake? Um, <laughs> I think I actually smacked Matt in the face with a pair of his own dirty pants. Um, it, was, it was bad, guys. Um, before, I locked myself in the bathroom, and I was just so overwhelmed. I was so overwhelmed by everything. When I started to calm down, all I could think was, like, I've broken it. I've shown in my true colors. I'm completely unhinged. Uh, he's going to see that I'm completely unhinged rather than, you know, this kind of really chilled, easygoing, cool girl that I'd really tried my hardest to convince him I was. Um, and in that moment, I was convinced that our relationship, if even salvageable, would never be the same. Some people say I'm dramatic, but <laughs> that's how I felt. So, um, yeah, Matt would never see me the same way again. I was so ashamed and so embarrassed. But to my surprise, uh, this didn't affect how Matt felt about me at all. It was almost like he knew all along that I wasn't cool or perfect or like the best wife ever. And he loved me anyway. It was a real shock. Um, he loved me in spite of all that stuff. He chose me as his wife knowing full well that I wasn't perfect. In the passage we read um, in verse 1, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, I find no rest. The Greek word for leave is that one. <laughs> Aniemi, I reckon. That's what I'm going to go for. Um, and it means to send back, to let go, to relax, to loosen, to give up or desist from. And the word forsake, I'm not even going to try, is that one. And that means to leave behind, to abandon, or to desert. I reckon that David, at the very least, entertained the idea that God had changed his mind about him. That God would replace him with someone better or more deserving of that anointing. Maybe David wasn't so much a man after God's own heart after all. But God doesn't change his mind about us. Similarly, that night in the bathroom, I was convinced that Matt would want to return me 
to send her. It was my, that would have been my dad, and he definitely wouldn't have accepted that package. Um, <laughs> to give up on me, maybe swap me out for someone who had it all together. But he didn't. He hadn't changed his mind about wanting me to be his wife. And God doesn't change his mind about how he sees us. We are completely known and completely loved. So how we see ourselves doesn't affect how God sees us. And God doesn't change his mind about us. And finally, even when we feel completely abandoned, there's always hope. David, as we've already said, paints a pretty bleak picture in Psalm 22. He talks about being surrounded by enemies, lions, villains, dogs. He describes his bones as out of joint and on display. His mouth is dry and his heart is wax that has melted within him. But safe to say, he's not at his best. And yet in verse 22, things take a bit of a turn. In verse 22, it says, I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all of you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but he has listened to his cry for help. So amongst all that despair, hope is found. And it's on the cross that Jesus utters those very words from Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And to those in the crowd hearing those words, they would have known that passage that Jesus was referencing. In one sentence, Jesus shows his empathy with the world that feels forsaken, too far gone to bring home, to be restored, too broken to be restored. And if you've ever felt forsaken, you're in the best company. But as much as they would recognize the psalm that Jesus is quoting, they'd also remember how that psalm ends. It's like Jesus, in quoting this psalm, is teeing up its conclusion. Where is God and why has he forsaken us? And with his arms stretched wide, Jesus shows us that he has not forsaken us. He has not despised or scorned our suffering. He has not hidden his face from us. He's listened to our cries. The cross is the greatest symbol of love you'll ever see. Because it demonstrates how far, just how far God is going to go just to bring us home. We can never be too far or too broken that God's love won't reach us. Thanks to what Jesus did on the cross. Amen. Amen.